Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. When you're ready to retire, when should you sign up for Social Security? Is it best to take it when you can at age 62 or 66 or wait until 70? And how do they determine how much your Social Security check will be? When you take Social Security, do you have to quit working? Now, those are just some of the questions that will be answered today on this episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Welcome to another edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, where we strive to give you helpful information about how to reduce income taxes now, this year, immediately, and in your retirement years, and how to handle your saving and investment assets in order to maximize the tax-free income that you'll have in retirement. I'm Barry Watts, your host, and for 27 years, I've been walking people through the steps of retirement helping them to make choices that will give them the most income while paying the least in income taxes. Now, today's episode is everything you ever wanted to know about Social Security, but were afraid to ask. Wow, I wrote a big check there. (laughs) I hope nobody really cashes that one, Patrice, because it wouldn't be very hard for them to take us to some places that uh, I wouldn't know what the answer was. But what we're going to do today, I've asked Patrice to join me on the mic And uh, she's, Patrice and I are kind of on either side of the social security Mm -hmm. issue. I see it in the windshield coming up in a few years. Patrice actually has already filed for and is receiving some social security now. And so she's going to be joining the conversation to be the informed, uninformed sort of bystander (laughs) who will hopefully represent some of the questions and perspectives of our listeners. So Patrice, welcome to the, this side of the mic. Well, thank you very much, Barry. And remember, I'm here to make you look good. So there you go. I appreciate that. We try to only invite people to the podcast who are going to make (laughs) us look good. So let me ask you this, Patrice, how much do you feel like you know about Social Security? Let me say this. Every time I think I know about Social Security, I turn around and I'm blindsided by something else. There are so many ins and outs, so many what ifs. What about this? I have to say, I don't think I know anything cohesive about Social Security. (laughs) Well, that's a really good perspective on it. And today, what I'm going to try to do is unpack the big items of Social Security. Now, I say big items because there are literally thousands of little items, iterations, special situations with Social Security, if you were born before a certain date or Mm -hmm. after a certain date, et cetera. But the big items of how Social Security works, I think that's something we can more or less get our brains around here in the next few minutes together. Now, there's one way that Social Security is fairly simple. If you work all of your life and retire in your mid-60s, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, You're going to get a check and it's going to be this many dollars. But if you work some years, but not other years, 
and like a mom who might take time out from her job to stay at home with the kids for a few years. Mm-hmm. Or if you work sometimes for a company that pays into Social Security, but then you spend other years working for a government agency or a nonprofit that doesn't pay into Social Security. Wait a minute right there. What do you mean they don't pay into Social Security? Well, some are allowed to opt out. For example, uh, in a previous career in my life, between 30 and 40 years ago, I was actually a minister on the staff of a church. And I was allowed, you may not know, as a minister to opt out of Social Security. And as a young person, I did that then for the earnings that were produced for my career coming in ministry. Now, once I left that role and started in another role, well, I'm no longer opted out and I've been paying into Social Security for the past 30 years or so. There are other people who work for government agencies that are not a part of the social security system. For example, in the state of Missouri, where I'm located, our teachers have their own teacher's retirement system and they don't pay into social security. So all of those different iterations then confuse people's understanding about social security. And what if I had my spouse die? Or what if I got a divorce and we'd been married nine years versus 11 years? Because by the way, if you get a divorce, 10 years is the mark. If you've been married more than 10 years, you can claim off of your spouse. That's Woo-hoo, just a got that one. of information. <laughs> and then what if you decide you want to retire early instead of normal retirement age? So all these nuances and details can make social security really hard to figure out, really hard to understand. And I find that most people don't even know the basics of social security. So what we're going to do today is just help you grab a basic 35,000 feet view of how Social Security works. All right. Now, basic question here. Can I go to Social Security and say, this is my situation? What do I have coming? You can. And the thing about going to Social Security, first, going is better than calling. Don't call Social Security because who knows what answer you're going to get if you call. And I hear, and there are anecdotes of all sorts of bad information coming from Social Security Mm -hmm. employees. So instead of calling, you need to go. And when you go, whatever question you ask, whatever information you get, you need to ask them to print it off for you. So you get it in black and white. And you need to get their name and or badge number if they won't give it their last name. So you can say Sally badge number 387 at the 12th of November at 1149 in the morning told me this. Right. Now, I don't know how much difference that makes, but we're in a world today where you almost have to do that with everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly, I think it would be good with Social Security because just because you talk to them, you don't get the right answer. In fact, if you go to Social Security today, I can just tell you from the experience of other clients, what they're going to tell you is take your Social Security at 62, game over. That's the whole conversation right there. And as you know, that is not necessarily the thing to do. And that's the kind of advice that you often get from Social Security. It's oversimplified. So should you go to Social Security? Yes. Should you talk to them? Yes. Are the people there well-intended? Yes, I believe they are. But you need to really have your radar on to be sure that what you're hearing is right. Now, Patrice, the first thing that I want to help emphasize about why talking about Social Security is so important is simply this. Your largest personal financial asset may be Social Security. Really? Yep. Most people have never thought about that. No. But I'm going to take you through some math that'll help you understand that. And you know how good I am at math, Barry. <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. I'll go slow. Okay. So many people think, well, no, my largest asset is my home or my retirement account or my brokerage account or whatever it is. But in many cases, their largest asset is actually their social security account 
Let me explain what I mean. Let's say you have $3,000 a month in Social Security benefits. That's $36,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Now, Patrice, test out your math here. How much money would you need an investment account to draw $36,000 per year out of that account? Let me ask you, what percentage is that? Is that a 4% withdrawal? Is that a 5% withdrawal? What are you earning on the account? That's the whole point. What could you earn on an account these days if you, in terms of investment return on an account? Do you know? Not much. That's right. Interest rates right now are so low that there are a lot of people who are earning less than 1% on their account. But let's say that you had a million dollars in an account and you were earning 3.6%, which is really hard to get these days. You almost can't get it. Well, then if you were earning 3.6%, you would earn $36,000 a year. So a way to think about it is your social security account in that case would be worth a million dollars. Or at today's more realistic interest rates, you might need as much as $3.6 million in a social security account at 1% interest to get $36,000 a year. So what I'm telling you is a $36,000 a year social security check coming to you, $3,000 a month, is actually representative of a pile of money, a bucket of money that might be worth somewhere between a million and $3 million. And how many other accounts do you have that are worth a million or two million or three million? Well, let's say probably not many. Um, Yeah, most people don't have many. I mean, obviously, we have listeners of the podcast who have aggregate that much money, and we have some of them who have that much individual accounts. But for the most part, working class people don't have that kind of stuff. And so what I want to point out is that Social Security may be your biggest financial asset. And you need to be careful and make the right decisions about how much you take in salary if you're a business owner. Just had this conversation not an hour ago with a business owner, how much he should take in salary from his LLC, because that influences how much he will pay into Social Security, which then drives how much he will receive from Social Security. Oh, this is the long game. Yeah, well, how about begin with the end in mind? Yeah. Uh, Didn't somebody famous say that? I know people who are shop owners and so forth who kind of brag about how little they pay in taxes because they have cash business and that cash just finds their way into their pockets and they don't pay any tax on it and they don't pay any social security on it and they think they really beat the government. And then they get ready to retire and they want to get their social security and guess how much they have? Nothing. Not Yeah, not very much, if any at all, because they've never paid into Social Security. And so one of the decisions that you have to make, see, as a business owner, is how do you handle your own salary? How much are you paying to Social Security based on how much you're going to get from Social Security? And then whether you own a business or not, you need to be thoughtful about when you're going to claim Social Security in order to get the maximum return from your Social Security account that you've contributed into for all of these years. So, Patrice, got a question for you. What percentage of Americans do you think qualify for Social Security? Do you have any idea? Oh, wow. Well, I would think most people do, but if you haven't worked at all, you don't get anything. So, let's say 85%. Actually, 96 is the magic number. 96% of Americans are covered by Social Security. So, for every room full of 100 people, today's podcast applies to 96 of them. And if you know some of those 96 people who are in the midst of planning for retirement, kind of on the runway, headed toward retirement, then do them a favor, share this podcast with them, and hopefully it'll help them get some information that they need 
to better understand how to make their social security claiming decisions that are coming at retirement time when it comes upon them. All right. Is there something special you have to do to qualify for social security? I mean, is there a minimum you've had to have made because this business owner hasn't been putting money in? What are they going to get? Well, you do have to sign up for social security and you should do that a couple of months before you actually want to get your first social security check. And there are ways that you qualify for social security. So let's begin talking about that. First of all, here's how social security gets funded. Every time you get a paycheck, 6.2% is held out of that check for something that is called OASDI. And I see paycheck receipts or pay stubs sometimes that will have OASDI actually printed on them. That stands for Old Age Survivors and Disability Insurance. So when you make $100, you get paid $93.80 and $6.20 goes into Social Security into this fund that has that old name, OASDI. Okay. Now, on top of that, an additional 1.45% is held out to pay for Medicare. So your portion of Social Security and Medicare together is 7.65%. And put together, those are known as FICA, F-I-C-A. That I know. That's the Federal Insurance Contributions Act. So it sounds like that your paychecks always had maybe FICA on them and didn't say OASDI, but some people have OASDI on them instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a total of 7.65% that you are putting into Social Security and Medicare for yourself. Now, your employer matches those amounts out of the employer's side of the payroll. So the total amount that's going in is 15.3% of your salary going to FICA, which is Social Security and Medicare combined. And that's exactly what your employer shows you as part of your income, your remuneration for working. Yeah, we want, as an employer, I want my employees to understand that you're not just getting your check, but I'm also putting extra money in in other places that you're not thinking about in order to have you work here. I want you to understand what the total cost is as an employer. Now, this 15.3% that we referenced applies only to the first $142,800 that you earn. That's a 2021 number, by the way. That number increases each year. So, in fact, in this podcast, all the things that we talk about are going to be 2021 numbers. And so $142,800 is subject to Social Security taxes. 15.3% is held out. And once you earn over $142,000, the rest of what you earn then beyond $142,800 is not subject to Social Security withholding. Okay. So... You're working. They're taking money out of your check. You have to work for 40 quarters or 10 years because, you know, there's four quarters in a year, you know, quarters, January, yeah, yeah, February, yeah, yeah, March. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just want to be sure. Got that, got that, got that. Uh, well, you weren't. You said math was difficult <laughs> and that was fractions. So it's kind of a cousin to math. So in order to qualify for Social Security, yeah, I got to work for 40 quarters or 10 years. If you haven't worked 40 quarters, then you won't qualify. You won't get anything from Social Security. Now, for most people, that's not a problem, but here's where there could be a question. And Patrice, I don't know your story. This could have applied in your case. You are a mom, yes? Yes, I am. Okay. So when your children were born, did you take time off from work to be a mom and raise a family or did you go back to work immediately after giving birth? 
Three months after I went back and he Okay. Me. So you weren't gone long. You were of that generation that kind of turned right back around and went back to yep. work. There are, there are a lot of people today who are not doing that, who are laying out several years. In fact, my wife retired from her career as a nurse with the federal government and the Veterans Administration system about two months before our oldest daughter was born, and she's never gone back. Now, she worked in the VA long enough to have her 40 quarters in. But there are some women who maybe they pulled out, raised the kids, got them to kindergarten level, then they went back to work. And so maybe they've got 40 quarters in, maybe they don't have 40 quarters in. So what you should do, if that was your story, or maybe you just took off work, you're not a mom, you weren't having babies. Although these days the dads stay home. I've got a couple of friends who the dads stay home and the moms are the breadwinners. Maybe you just took off as a dad and traveled around the world or something. You should check with social (laughs) security. And be sure that you worked for 40 quarters so you'll qualify. And they send out a report, or you can access it online, that'll show every quarter you've worked, every year you've worked, how much has been paid in. And they say you should even check and make sure that that report is accurate, that what it says for last year is indeed the amount of money that you earned last year. So you can do this in chunks. You could say work four years, then two years, and then another four years. It doesn't yeah, have to be 10 got to be 40 quarters, quarters, 10 years in total. That's exactly right. And so if you found you'd worked 38 quarters, for example, <laughs> it might be a good idea to go back to McDonald's yeah. or Starbucks or wherever and work two more quarters, Yeah, six months of earnings to qualify for Social Security. And so that's something that you want to think about. Now, the next question then is, well, when do I take my Social Security? And for retirement purposes, and underline that word retirement, you can take Social Security at age 62. Now, there are provisions. Now, everybody, everybody could take it at 62. Anybody can take it at 62. Okay. That's exactly right. But there are some people who could take it as early as 60. For example, widows can take it at age 60. And if there are minor children in the home and the parent or guardian has reached a certain age, or if there are disabled children in the home, there are all these different rules that may kick in. But today, we're only dealing with retirement. And the earliest age that you can take it is age 62. And that is considered early retirement. You will not get as much at age 62 as you would if you waited until you are considered what is called full retirement age, or in social security speak, that would be FRA, full retirement age. Now that used to be 65, but Congress has slowly increased that. So now retirees must be 66 before they have reached full retirement age. And if you were born after 1960, as I was, full retirement age is not until age 67. And why are they doing that? Is it because we're living longer or because Social Security needs the money? Yeah. When Social Security was first set up, the average person started drawing on it at age 62 and they lived about two years and died. So Social Security was meant to pay out for a couple of years. And now people are living 30 and 40 years on Social Security. And so Congress is raising the retirement age, the full retirement age, because Social Security was never designed. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole, I spent about an hour talking about this in a class that I lecture on, and that might be a full, an interesting podcast in and of itself, but it was never designed to pay out for decades up, up on end. And so that's why they've had to raise the retirement age. And was Social Security ever designed to be the only source of retirement income? No, Social Security was supplemental. You were supposed to be doing your own thing. And remember, it was old age assistance is what some people called it, or disability assistance, O-A-S-D-I. It was really for people who didn't have anything else. People coming out of the Depression who had no other resources. You remember Chicken in Every Pot, Franklin Roosevelt's whole thing? This was for poor people who'd come through the Depression, had no resources. Okay, the government's going to send you a little check every month. 
That was the design. Unfortunately, what's happened for many people, now it's kind of shifting, I think, right now, but many people came to depend on Social Security as their only retirement benefit. And so they never bothered saving for themselves. And so they get to retirement and, well, congratulations, here's 1200 bucks a month. And that just doesn't go very far anymore. Yeah. yeah. So when you reach full retirement age, age 66 or 67, whatever it is for you, then Social Security says, here's an amount of money that you're going to have. If you try to retire before full retirement age, say at 62, for example, Mm -hmm. you're only going to get about 70 to 75% of what you would have received if you had waited until full retirement age at 67 or 66. Why do it? Well, there could be a number of reasons. Maybe you have health problems, so you can't continue to work. Maybe you think you won't live very long, and so you want to get started early on retirement. There are legitimate reasons to take it at age 62. But there are also legitimate reasons to wait. And here's one of the legitimate reasons to wait. So they have an amount. There's a calculation I'll talk about in a moment. At age 66 or 67, that is your primary insurance amount, PIA, that you're going to receive at FRA, full retirement age. And every year that you wait after full retirement age, the primary insurance amount increases. That's the social security amount you're going to receive every month increases by 8% per year up to age 70. 8%. You cannot beat that. You can't meet that anywhere. That's the point. Where are you going to get guaranteed 8% per year on any investment? Not guaranteed. Yeah. So this is a guaranteed income If you are taking Social Security at age 66 because you reached FRA at 66 and you wait until age 70, your check's going to be 32% greater because it increases by 8% every year. Four times eight. Help me, Patrice. This is math. Yeah, I know. Four times eight is 32. So you're going to get 132% more. Or for me, if I took it at age 67 versus age 70, three times eight, because there's three years between 67 and 70. Three times eight is 24. So there'll be 24% more in my social security check at age 70 than there would have been if I had taken it at age 67. Now that's a no-brainer. Oh, it is kind of a no-brainer, I think, for most people. But there are people who should take it earlier. That does happen. Here's the big deal, though, Patrice. At age 70, there's no 8% after that. So whatever your number is at age 70, that's the most you're going to get out of Social Security. And so you should definitely take your Social Security at age 70 and not wait until any later. And we do hear anecdotal stories of people who are 85 and just never signed up for Social Security. Are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah, I guess they had plenty of money and it just didn't matter to them. If you're one of my relatives I don't know about and you haven't signed up for Social Security yet and you don't need the money, go ahead and sign up and send the check. That Make your check payable to Barry Watson. Send it to... So, All right. So suppose somebody did that at 85, they finally sign up. They're only going to get the amount per month that they would have gotten at 70. That's exactly correct. I think they can, I'm not sure on this. I think they can get uh, maybe like six months back or something. They can- A lump sum or something? Yeah, a little lump sum, but six months back. If you're 85, you've got 15 years, six months isn't going to matter very much. (laughs) No, it isn't. So here's the point. Everybody should take social security by the time they're 70 years old. Nobody should let it rest after that. All right. That's a should, but well, that's a given. But when then the question becomes, why do people take it before? What should we do? What do we need to know? Well, the reasons that you would take it at 62 versus full retirement age, 66 or 7 or 64, 
there's just so many things that come in. Maybe your spouse receives a terminal diagnosis and it's not going to hurt them now for the next couple of years, but they're not going to be here 10 years from now. And maybe you want to buy those extra two years of retirement. And so you say, I'll get a job at Walmart when I'm 85 and greet people at the front door, but we're going to go take the tour around the world while we can. So okay. there, that's a legitimate reason to retire early. It's very personal to each individual and each family. And it's really determined by how long you think you will live. Because if you think you will have a fairly short lifespan by comparison, you may be better off taking the lesser amount at age 62. Whereas if you're going to live long, then you may say, no, I want to wait until I'm 70 to start taking it. I remember a guy I went to school with who, when we were, what, 20 years old, just doing our undergrad, he always swore he wouldn't live past age 40. And I always thought that was a really stupid thing. Kind of scared me. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that. But hey, here's a big shout out to Alan Strickland in Nashville, Tennessee. And the last I knew, Alan's uh, 58 and he's still ticking based on the text I got from him just a few weeks ago. Okay, little math. That's 18 years beyond where you said he was going to be. Yeah. So the point is, Social Security is going to matter to him more than he ever thought that it would. Mm. But your life expectancy, your realistic life expectancy is a part of how you go about making the decision. We know that people are living longer than they used to. Life expectancy is increasing. My dad is 78 years old. In fact, as soon as this broadcast episode is over, I'm going to go to lunch with dad because he just called and said, hey, you want to go to Mexican Villa for lunch? And I'm going to meet him there. Oh, sounds good. It is pretty good. It's Springfield style Mexican. So the real people who know Mexican food don't think it counts because we have to change it to meet our Ozark tastes here. But Dad's 78. And he told me a year or so ago that he wouldn't have taken Social Security at 62 if he'd had any idea he was going to live this long. So the real question that you have to answer is, well, where's my break-even point? So for me, born in 1963, the break-even point for me is 79. If I live to be 79 or older, I'll make more money from Social Security in total if I wait until age 70 to take it instead of taking it early at 62. But if I'm going to die before age 79, I would be better off to take it at age 62. So how long do you think you'll live? And oh, by the way, your break-even point will be different than mine. And that's one of the things that we help our clients figure out when we're doing a retirement design for them. And hopefully you're working with somebody who can help you in a similar way. So we're not going to do a podcast on the break-even point? Oh, I don't know what we'll do a podcast on. We might do one of those one of these days. Although if that were our own topic, it might be a little bit bored. I'm not sure. Break-even point is so customized to each individual that it's just a simple fact of let's do the math for you, Patrice. Now let's do the math for you, Sally. So even if you know your break-even age, it might not be relevant because you could have a condition that will shorten your life expectancy or lengthen it. Mm -hmm. For example, I have a client. She's a personal friend of mine, also a client. I've known her since we were in college, met her the first day in college. In fact, on the way to the cafeteria. And it's sort of funny that that was hundreds of miles away. And we both wound up living back in the same community, just a mile or so from each other. And we go to the same church and our kids are the same age. Our children were tennis partners on in doubles together. So she's just always been a part of my life. It's kind of a funny, funny thing. And uh, she is nearly 60 years old and her grandmother just died at age 104. And her mother's doing great at age 80. So a long life is in the expectation for her. So the big point is there's no right answer when you're trying to figure out when to take Social Security, because we don't know with any degree of certainty how long you will live for sure. So in general, I nudge most of my clients toward claiming at age 70, 
And here's really why. My client that I mentioned a minute ago, who's not yet 60 and whose grandma lived to 104, her husband, who's been the major breadwinner in the family with a regular executive salary all these years, he will not live probably an extraordinary long life. His parents died, I think, in their 80s. And so for them, I will probably encourage them to wait until he is 70 to take his social security. And that way, he'll get the largest amount possible, 124% of his primary insurance amount. That is 24% more than he would have received Mm -hmm. at full retirement age. Mm -hmm. And his wife then will get 50% of his amount. Whatever he gets, she'll get half of it because that's the way it works. The lower earning spouse will either get all of their social security or half of their spouse's social security, whichever is greater. Now. When he dies, and she may live another 20 years or more past him, her Social Security benefit will go away, and she will start receiving the amount that he was receiving. Ah. So we want him to receive the greatest amount possible so that she will receive the greatest amount possible, and it'll guarantee the highest benefit for the longest period of time for them as a family. And that's why he should probably wait until he's 70 before he files. But now, while this sounds really good, she's still going to be getting less in the long run because she's moving to his, which is higher, but she's losing hers. So she's still going to have to make up some difference there. Mm, I don't quite follow your question. Uh, The way the Social Security system is set up, well, let's just talk about how Social Security benefits are determined in the first place. You want to do that? The amount that you receive at full retirement age, 66 or 67, is called a primary insurance amount. So at FRA, you'll receive your PIA. Don't you just love these government acronyms? <laughs> Do they have a class where they teach people that stuff? When you go to work for the government, here's the payday, here's the restroom, here's the coffee break area. And by the way, you have to say everything in an acronym. <laughs> so at FRA, you'll receive your PIA. At full retirement age, you'll receive your primary insurance amount. The amount of your check is based on a formula. Now, I'm not going to go into the formula. But what drives it is your 35 highest earnings years. So they take the highest 35 years of earnings and they run it through this formula and it spits out your social security primary insurance amount for your monthly check. And it's always calculated at your FRA. So if you delay until 70, it's going to grow by 8% per year. Mm -hmm. And if you take it early, it's going to be reduced back to about 70, 75% at age 62. Now, here's what happens to spouses. A spouse can take their own PIA or... If they're the lower earning spouse, they may be better off if they take 50% of their higher earning spouse's PIA. Mm -hmm. So the simple thing to do is take the lower earning spouse and say, how much is your social security check? Is that half of the spouse's social security check? And if it's not, well, then we know we're going to take the spouse's half instead of our own half. Right. So I'm not, you were indicating there was some kind of loss there to them. No, you can always get your amount, whatever it is, Right, but you may be better off taking the spouse's amount instead. I think your next point is going to answer my question. When the spouse dies, the smaller social security payment goes away. Well, when the spouse dies, yeah, okay, so that has gone away. You're not going to get two social security checks. Now you're just going to get one check. And the question is, which check are you going to get? Well, if your check was the largest, you'll just keep getting your check. But if it's the husband who dies first, and often we see the husband who was making more money, so his social security check is bigger. It's not always that way at all, but often that's the case. So in that case, the wife's social security check would go away and the husband's amount Mm -hmm. would become the amount that she receives in her check. And she'll receive that for the rest of her life. And that's why 
it might be prudent to wait until he is age 70 if he's the higher wage earner. I should just say it this way to be more correct in today's age. The higher wage earner might want to wait until age 70 before they take Social Security. So if they die early, then the survivor will have the larger check for the rest of their life. Sure. All right. So I'm going to take Social Security, but I don't want to stop working. I want to keep working. Can I do that? You can do that, but you may not want to. Because if you take Social Security and keep on working, you may be subject to what's called the earnings test. And it may result in confiscation of part of your Social Security, depending on how old you are. If you've reached full retirement age, you can earn as much as you want, and there's no earnings test, no clawback, no confiscation, as much as you want. Now, you'll have to pay income tax, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but there's no earnings test that would lead to confiscation. If you are less than full retirement age, say age 62, and you go back to work after you started taking Social Security, if you earn more than $18,960, remember that's a 2021 number, then every dollar you earn will result in your Social Security being reduced by 50 cents. Every dollar? There you go. It, actually, the way Social wow. Security says it is every $2 you earn will result in a $1 reduction of your Social Security. So if you're going to make any serious money between age 62 and full retirement age, you want to wait and not file for Social Security until you reach full retirement age. Because at full retirement age, there won't be any earnings test and you'll be able to make as much as you want then. But if you take it wow. early and you make too much money, then you are going to be penalized. for That's a hefty penalty, too. It is really a pretty hefty penalty, and that's why you shouldn't take Social Security early if you're going to keep working for the most part. Now, some people take Social Security early because it sounded good. They got all excited about it, and then they discover, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I wish I hadn't taken my Social Security. Well, guess what? <laughs> you can take a mulligan. You can back up and say, wait, I don't want to take my Social Security. I didn't mean to take it. I shouldn't have taken it. What should I do? And if you do that within 12 months of when you signed up, you can write a check back to Social Security, hand them the money back. And they just canceled the transaction like it never happened in the first place. And they put you back on the path you were on as if you'd never taken Social Security. And it will on. change nothing when you do go to claim. Precisely. Then when you're full retirement age, you get your full amount. Wow. So it's just the opportunity to make a mistake and correct the mistake that you made. Now, here's a problem, though, that comes up, Patrice, and it's that you're going to pay taxes on Social Security no matter what. Why am I not surprised? So the government has got a formula. Go figure. They have a formula. They probably got an acronym, but I don't know what the acronym would be. <laughs> the, the formula, though, is for provisional income. This is what they call it, provisional income. By definition, provisional income is the amount of income that you make that determines how much tax you pay on Social Security. Why isn't it called the Social Security tax calculation? I don't know. It's called provisional income. So what they do is they add up all your income from all your sources, pensions, K-1s from partnerships, Schedule F income from the farm, 1099s from the bank or the brokerage account, IRA distributions, 401k distributions, gambling winnings, whatever. Even the interest from your tax-free municipal bonds get added into this. And then half of your social security gets added into that. And we come up with a number. Now, if that number is over $25,000 for a single person, They'll pay ordinary income tax on 50% of their Social Security. And if that number is over $34,000, they'll pay ordinary income tax on 85% of their Social Security. Same thing for married people. 
This is so convoluted, Barry. Yeah, it's government. And <laughs> this is why I believe in less government, because when government comes up with things, it's a patchwork quilt of rules and regulations that no sane human being can understand. This definitely is. But tell me about married people. Well, if you're married, the change is this way. The tax kicks in at $32,000 instead of $25,000. That's where 50% tax on Social Security. I shouldn't say it that way. I'm sorry. That's where 50% of your Social Security would be taxed. And at $44,000, 85% of your Social Security would be taxed. So let me take you through a, an example of this. Let's say you're single. You're making $30,000 a year on Social Security. And on top of that, you've got investment income, pensions, IRA distributions, et cetera. So your total income is somewhere over $34,000. Mm -hmm. That means you're going to pay taxes on 85% of your benefit, which would be $25,500. So the amount of tax that you could pay could be, depending on your tax bracket, as much as 37% or $9,435 plus your state tax, which in Missouri, where I live, that would be an additional 1530 bucks. So your $30,000 Social Security benefit, you could pay a total tax of just a few dollars shy of $11,000 on Social Security income, a third of it being handed back to the government in the form of taxes. Now, if what, you, I was going to say, if you needed the money and you're doing this fine, but if you don't need the money, you're losing a third of what you have coming. Well, that's correct. That's correct. And Unfortunately, this is fixable, and I'm going to talk to you about how to fix it in a moment, but you've got to do it with a long view in mind and a long plan in mind. Otherwise, you're going to pay tax on your Social Security, and virtually nobody plans on that in advance. And I'll tell you that even worse than the income tax on Social Security is what we call the widow's tax. Oh, that sounds very sad. A widow's tax? There really is a widow's tax. Well, technically, it's not like you can look it up in the law books and it says widow's tax. But maybe it should say that because widows, all single people for that matter, pay a higher tax rate than married couples do. So here's an example. Let's say we got a couple making 200000 bucks a year. They're in the 24% tax bracket. If he dies, she's going to lose his Social Security. Let's say that was $30,000. Mm -hmm. So now her income is only $170,000. So her income has gone down by 15%. But her tax bracket, because she's now filing as a single person, is going to go up to 32%. So she lost 30000 in income. She's going to pay over $6,000 more in taxes. That's a 27.5% <laughs> swing when we put those two together. And she's going to pay more, nearly double, for her Medicare. So that's why we call it the widow's tax. Her financial situation didn't improve. It got worse because she lost income when she lost her husband. And she starts having to pay more taxes because she's single and her Medicare costs increased because her tax bracket went up. So Patrice, I guess really there is a widow's tax. I think we got to come up for a better name. It's just, that's ridiculous. Well, or else ridiculous we need tax. the ridiculous tax. How about the ridiculous widow's tax? I like it. And I think we need to keep that in there. That actually is a good name. I might change that when I talk about it. Call it the ridiculous widow's tax. Because I think it's important that we keep in front of people the fact that you're going to have lived your life just perfectly and planned it just perfectly. And here you're going to get smacked around at kind of the most vulnerable point in your life when you're widowed, all because the government system is set up to be against you. A quick question here. Yeah. All right. 
you're talking about setting things up. Suppose the husband dies December 31st. Mm -hmm. What does that do to the poor widow? When is she starting to pay these taxes? I'd have to look the rule up. I can't answer that clearly, and I apologize. I'm not sure about that particular day. Sorry, just thinking about taxes and when babies are born at the end of the year. And Yeah, that's really a tax filing issue. And we don't do tax filing in my practice. We do tax strategy work. So we're dealing with big picture kinds of things. And as a result, that brings us to talking about, so is there any way we can avoid the widow's tax? Is there any way we can avoid the income taxes that are due on Social Security? And the answer is, yes, we can. And there's really a simple way to do that. I've talked about it in other podcasts, but I want to give it to you as quickly as I can, but in brief. The solution to avoid these taxes or minimize them if you can't totally eliminate is to have as much money as possible in tax-free accounts. You may remember, Patrice, that we've talked about there are three kinds Uh of accounts. Taxable accounts, tax-deferred accounts, and tax-free accounts. Most people don't use tax-free accounts very much. So what you want to do is you want to begin now strategically moving income and money from the taxable account and from the tax-deferred account over to the tax-free account. As you move it, you'll pay taxes. I call that cleanse it from taxes. You'll use Roth conversion strategies, which we've talked about on other podcasts. You might use LERP plans, L-I-R-P. And and by the way, on the podcast, episode number 14, how to have more tax-free income in retirement. You should listen to that if you haven't, because it tells about LERP plans and LERP plans are 100% tax-free. And so if you're using these tax-free kinds of accounts, if that's where most, if not all of your income comes from, these tax-free sources, then that can severely reduce the amount of tax you have to pay. And it may actually turn that amount down to zero. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it be cool? So here's the way that would impact you from a social security basis. When they do the calculation to see if your social security is taxable, if all of your other money was coming from these tax-free accounts, well, then guess what? When they add it all up and do the math, you'll be below that 34,000 threshold for single people, that 44,000 threshold for married people. As a result, you won't pay any tax on your social security. In fact, Patrice, some of our clients, not all, but some of them, are actually able to retire into the 0% tax bracket because they've been diligent in understanding those tax buckets And they are moving their assets into accounts where they'll never be taxed again. And avoiding taxes is the goal of our company, which is why we call it savingyoutaxes.com. And it's painless. Well, it's painful early on because you got to pay the tax now, but then you don't have to pay the tax in the future. Mm -hmm. And we think tax rates are going to be higher in the future. If you'll think about that a moment, you probably will agree with that too. Indeed. So, Patrice, that's the 35,000-foot view of Social Security. We could probably do 10 podcasts. You brought up a couple of ideas for others and not exhaust the topic in entirety. But what I hope we've done today is given you a framework, a way to sort of establish boundaries within which Social Security functions and help you understand how it affects you. And so if you found this podcast helpful and informative, I hope you'll go to the menu in your podcast app and click share. And you can easily text or email this podcast over to a friend. And if you'd like help in properly analyzing when you should take Social Security and how to correlate it with your other retirement assets, 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, well, then that's what we do at savingyourtaxes.com. 
So go to our website, savingyoutaxes.com, and there you'll find a telephone number where you can call us, a contact form where you can send us a message, and we'll set up a time to talk and figure out what you need and talk about whether and how we might be able to help you. But it all starts by visiting savingyoutaxes.com. Until we meet again on the next edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, I'm Barry Watts, here to remind you that when it comes to Social Security and retirement planning, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.